Hello, everybody. I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Hugo Knots here to review and discuss for you the best sci fi novels of all time. This week, we have The Wind Up Girl by Paolo Bassigalupi, um, which we're excited to talk about. And then next week, or uh, in two weeks from now, but actually in three weeks from now, <laughs> um, we will have some more content for you because we are attending ShyCon 8 the uh, festival or conference where the Hugo Awards are voted on and announced um, for 2022. So we're stoked to attend, and we're going to have some interviews with various authors. We're doing a Um, bunch of interviews. We're rolling out the red carpet to do red carpet interviews with a bunch of authors and creators. It'll be really, really fun. Um, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And if you're there, again, 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 please find us and say hello. You now know exactly where we'll be. We're going to be next to like the autograph tables. Um, and you'll see us. It'll be like a red carpet set up and, you know, we look like us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) we look like us, but with suits on. So different. Um, Same, same, but different. And yeah, it's going to be very exciting. We're not sure exactly how we're going to release the content from it, but there should be a lot of content and expect that to start coming out September 13th. Yes. Um, Yes, yes, yes. So three weeks till the next episode. Don't, yes. we didn't, we didn't mess up. Don't email us in two weeks. This is intentional. We're still professionals. <laughs> right. <laughs> in our basements. Ampro. Ampro, baby. Uh, all right. Uh, the wind up girl, Brent, tell yeah, us about absolutely. it. The wind up girl, 395 pages, uh, 19 and a half hours on audiobook. It's pretty long or sorry, 359 pages. I transpose that, but they're like really stacked to the margins kind of pages in a big book. Um, also shout out to my local library. Thank you so much for supporting my reading habit and making this whole project possible. Anyway, um, so this is a book primarily about factions, sort of a people who are represented by these characters who like give us a view into their sort of part, their faction and their sort of like jockeying group of people who are looking for influence. It's set in the near future, uh, about 200 years from now in Bangkok, Thailand, um, after a dystopian collapse of the economy and climate that has left the world in um, much rougher shape, but it's actually starting to come back again in some really interesting ways that we'll talk about. The setting is very cool. Um, So who are our factions? Who are people? Uh, There's Anderson Lake, who is secretly working for one of the calorie companies, these mega corporations that sort of control the world by controlling the food supply. Um, he has a factory manager named uh, Hak Song, who is a yellow card, which is what they call these uh, Chinese, ethnically Chinese refugees from Malaysia who fled this like really br- uh, brutal um, like Sharia pogrom in Malaysia. Um, and now they survive sort of in the cracks in Bangkok, um, protected, employed, and then also basically like preyed on by organized crime bosses. There's Anderson Lake's friends who are like these other white um, uh, people from unspecified places who are trying to like trade with and, and make money from the inward looking and closed Thai kingdom. Uh, they're mostly a bunch of like drunk and money hungry people. Basically, they're constantly at bars getting very drunk. Um, there's Jai D, who is an enforcer for the White Shirts, which is one of the most powerful, the, the, the environmental ministry in Thailand, which is the most important, like, powerful political entities. And they're in charge of enforcing the very strict rules against uh, unsanctioned energy and untaxed energy, um, uh, outlawed foods and uh, trade. Um, but they do that very selectively and with, like, lots of bribes and corruption. Um, and... 
that's actually a good, like everyone in this book basically is, seems to be in it for themselves, trying to make money from this place of relative prosperity in like a really tough world. Thailand is doing like well in the future world and everybody is trying to like get their peace and like take from this corrupt society. Um, except Emiko, the uh, titular wind up girl, um, who is a genetically engineered and like lab grown new person. Uh, which means she's been like designed and, and her genes literally altered to make her more subservient. Um, and she's variously viewed as either like a soulless, like not a person. You don't have to think about her. Like you think about a person. Other people think of her as like an abomination. Um, and she's sort of our like view of innocence and like the one good person. Uh, kind of in this story, who's not trying to exploit the system for their own benefit. Um, last thing I'll say is I do think this book needs a trigger warning. Um, Emiko is sexually assaulted in a really uh, brutal way. Um, the way to avoid that, if that's going to be really tough for you, but you still want to read this book, is if you start to get to like a little bit of a dodgy seeming situation and like a sex prostitution club, like assume it's going to get a lot worse basically and skip that chapter, you know, kind of breeze ahead. Um, as I recall all those, uh, there's two bad incidents and they both like finish a chapter. If you skip the next chapter, you should be past it. Um, so yeah, that's our setup. It is. And I gave this book a 4.5 out of five. Um, it's a, just an incredible, I think, imagining of, of a near future, um, brought on by climate catastrophe. And um, I'm not sure you mentioned this, but the uh, basically all of the fossil fuels in the world have been used as well, uh, used up. Um, so it's kind of after this gap in time where, uh, where the world shrunk back into itself and there wasn't that much travel and it, we're just getting back to that in this book of, of, of international um, trade and, and treatise and, um, trying to bring it back to be a, a global economy, um, which is all to say <laughs> nothing really to add to your summary. Um, but it's wonderfully, <laughs> it's a wonderfully written novel. Um, it, it's so engrossing and you can just feel the setting and you can feel the heat and the, the crowded people and the, uh, the everyone's jockeying for power. Um, it, it's, it's a book you feel. It's excellent. What yeah, do you think? For sure. Um, I'm going to give it a four out of five. I also really enjoyed it. Um, it's the, the, the thing I particularly enjoyed about it is it's a super interesting, really different kind of book. Um, there really is, it, it, it's all very complicated and the people are complicated. Um, and that's both a good and a bad thing, right? It makes them all feel real and real in the way that like people in the real world are real, right? Like there's not really like good and bad people in the world with some exceptions. Um, most people are trying to like get something. And this is a society, this is like a, you know, corrupt, not well set up society where people trying to look out for themselves mostly leads to like bad outcomes for other people. You know, you want to set up a society where it's not a zero sum game. And when people are looking out for themselves, they also look out for each other. Anyway, it's just a super interesting exploration of this like real situation, real feeling situation with all these different factions, like jockeying and trying to get their piece of the pie. And the whole time you're trying to figure out like, how's this going to go? And it just keeps defying your expectations basically. Um, 
and it's not always good, uh, like like happy, um, but it is always like very interesting and entertaining. And I just really, it really, um, it made me think a lot. So yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, in fact, it's uh, crushingly brutal. Um, it's the opposite of joyous and good. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it, you know, that's it feels right for the novel and the the setting that um, Bussy Gloopy is made. Uh, it's also pretty, you know, it's pretty complex. It's well done. So there's a lot of elements here. Um, and so, so the plot largely follows, um, the calorie companies, their fictitious plot to, uh, take over the world and have all the money and influence. Um, and these calorie companies are, like you said, mega corporations that, um, not only control all the seed stock and genetically engineer seed stock, um, so that it can only grow for one season. So they control that, but they also, uh, war with each other by creating genetically engineered viruses that affect plants or humans through the plants, um, that they, uh, like go unleash. after the competition's crop. Like, Oh, right. they have, what's one of the techs. Tex Rice? What does the Tex company make? Something. I can't remember. Utex. Yeah, Utex. You, you, oh, yeah, so like, oh, let's say I'm the company that doesn't make Utex. I'll try to like, not only am I trying to evolve my own whatever soy crop, let's say, I'm also trying to like evolve viruses that will attack Utex so people have to buy my... So it kills all the Utex. Instead, yes, yeah. exactly. And there's, all these, and there's all these awful consequences too because a lot of the diseases are not just they don't just kill the crop the crop grows but they make people ill there's another illness called blister rust that a lot of people get and you just if the plants infected with blister rust you basically you probably die um if you've eaten it or come in contact with it um so it's just kind of horrific and also totally believable that this corporate warfare would lead to something like this, like a, uh, not only a bettering of one's own product, but a trying to control the market, um, in a kind of like violent, you know, uh, proactive way. Um, and so that being said with this novel is very complex and there's a lot going on. So it does take a little bit to get into, right. I yeah, mean, you kind of have to yeah. sink in, yeah, I'd say I was I started to be like compelled and drawn along by the plot by the somewhere around the midpoint. Um up to that I was still definitely entertained, but I didn't have that like oh I really have to find out what happens next uh because it was still just you know getting all the pieces on the table. There's each chapter generally follows a different person and there's so many we did not even list all the characters who you follow for for some chapters. Um we listed most but not all. Um and so there's just, it just takes quite a while to like get into the shoes of the story and understand who all the players are and where all the pieces are before they can start moving around. Um, but once that starts to happen, the, the plot definitely does, does really move. And I do think that it doesn't take very long. It takes like a couple sentences to get into the feel of the environment. I think yeah. you're right away like, oh my God, it's so hot there, <laughs> you know, and you're, and you're feeling that claustrophobia and heat, uh, oppressive heat. So I do think that that, that is what kind of got me right away was, was the, the environment, um, and how, um, Bussy Galupi was, uh, describing it. Um, yeah. yeah, it feels like a very real place. Yes. And you brought this up, you brought this up in the summary a bit, but let's talk more about, um, you know, it's we don't even necessarily have anti-heroes here like if we're going to get into the characters um they're all i i struggle to 
hesitate to say anti-heroes. Maybe that is the right word, but maybe they're just we're just following all villains, or maybe it's just a different paradigm where. Um, in a world where it's so difficult to survive, like everyone has to be out for themselves. And to use it a fourth time, the word jockey, which I'm sh- not sure either of us has <laughs> ever said so many times in a day. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it just feels like we both live in, you know, uh, uh, the U.S. where thank God things are not this corrupt. I've never lived in a place like this. I have no idea if there are any countries in the world that are like this. And Bossy Glickley is certainly not trying to say like today's Thailand is like that. That is not at all the point of this book. He's telling like this like dystopian future that he just chose to set in, in Thailand. Um, but this, it all makes sense to me. And part of the reason it feels so real is because like if the rules of society are set up like this and everything is so corrupt, then of course all the people who will be powerful and in society will be like people who have like figured out a way to to take from society to like carve off a piece for themselves of course that would make you like hugely wealthy and i do think that does happen in you know hyper corrupt societies and so it's like you know are these like quote unquote big men who are like taking for themselves like are they good are they bad like well they're certainly not good that i'll say <laughs> um but I also don't know, like, they're not, like, straight villains. They're just not, they're definitely just not good. And it, it almost feels like he's created this world where, like, well, if they weren't there, somebody else just would be doing that instead. You know what I mean? It almost, it's like the system is just, like, so hopelessly broken. And I think that's, it makes this into a kind of sci-fi that I really like a lot, which is, like, he's taken a bunch of, like, modern, you know, ideas about our world, expanded some of them out. I know we'll talk more about, like, the climate stuff and the, the gene modification, whatever. But he's also like saying like, hey, maybe there's a watch out here about like how we run our societies, you know? And I think that's a really powerful kind of, of thing that science fiction can do. And he's he's pointed at a bunch of interesting things that we should like probably try to avoid in our world. Um, and yeah. this like intrinsic like badness of this like very corrupt system is like for sure something that like we should, probably can all agree we should try to avoid. Yeah, uh, in addition to the climate change, which feels like 200, I mean, this was written 2008, 2009, uh, which feels, I think, to a lot of us, like uh, like this future is a lot closer than 200 years, potentially. Uh, but we'll chat about that later, too. I, I, I think you make a good point about the corruption um, in society and, and having to carve off a piece. And I think that to expand upon that, the what he what Basi Galupi does that's interesting um, is and makes the book feel real is that that does happen even in not corrupt nations. It happens yeah. all over the place, even in nations with like fantastic social institutes, institutions and- um, Yeah, you still have broken societal, parts of society where right. people are doing this. They do all, it, yeah. And that's yeah, like, there should be the goal of government is avoid all this shit. <laughs> right. And, and he, so even in places that have societal buy-in, and again, that's why it feels so realistic because you see that even when uh, a, a nation or a group society is not as broken down as the one in this presented in this book. Um, the other, the other thing about it here is that we have a lot of, uh, we also see like a lot of tribalism Um and I guess that's, you know, feels like that's kind of what the other isms extend from. If that's like the basic, like us against them, 
uh, racism is is race against race, uh, nationalism, nation against nation, classism, etc. Um, and the tribalism is at the core here, and just shatters out into all the other isms that we see in this society. And not only is everybody out for themselves, but beyond that, there's also a ton of division among the different races, classes, um, and, uh, nations. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to have characters like in all these different groups who all then like, we sort of like learn about their stereotypes for the other groups, like through their eyes and everybody has stereotypes about everybody else. And it just, again, it feels like very real. And he like, he's pointing out like, you know, a real human problem that we're very much not past and trying to work our way through as a society. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, how, you know, how, how are you supposed to get past those if you're almost not even at a community level. If like, if every individual is almost out for, is out for themselves, then how are you even going to like build up a community to be, um, something that can avoid, uh, judging and, and, um, like action, actionable prejudice against other groups. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And, and attempts to colonize as well. Yeah, for sure. So should we talk about the world a little bit? Because I think the setting is almost like, uh, the setting is like one of the coolest things about this book. So the way this gets set up basically is that the science and technology and like the world all like fit together very seamlessly. So all the world's fossil fuels have been expended and, uh, well, not all, but the vast, vast majority. Um, And there seems to have been, like, no replacement. Like, this is, in this universe, like, there's no solar or wind power or any renewable, you know, they also don't seem to, like, have dams. Anyway, so ran out of fossil fuels and it led to, like, a total energy and economic collapse and at the same time generated a bunch of climate change. In this aftermath and the beginning of resurgence here, a lot of it has been driven by gene modification. Um, For instance, the way they store power is they have modified elephants to create these giant, like four tux, tusked creatures called megadonts, who they feed, you know, food, they literally grow food, feed them, and then they turn in small circles like against these spindles to create power. And then that power gets put into springs. They call them kink springs. So you're like putting energy into a spring in a box to be able to save it. Yeah, everything um, is about jewels and calories in yeah. Wind Up Girl. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, yeah, and they're like back to using sailing ships again because there's no fossil fuels to use for shipping. Um, They do use, they use methane to burn lights for the city. Yeah, like if you die, you don't get buried. They put you in like a methane extraction facility where like microbes break down your body and they capture the methane to use to power the street lamps. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's a lot of of using that energy conveniently. And I should say, I mean, you alluded to it in your summary, but it's not, it wasn't explicit. Um, The reason that it's interesting that this is set in Thailand is because Thailand's like the last nation on earth that um, was able to stay isolated and sovereign away from the calorie companies um, after the collapse of the earth. And they did that by like really ruthlessly protecting their borders from trade, um, their own environment and maintaining their own seed bank. 
Um, so they're they're the the kind of the last sovereign nation, and it's a battle, uh, largely at the at the high level, a battle between um, foreign influence and uh, interests within the Thai government, um, the trade minister uh, Akarat, uh, who's trying to take some of their money um, by introducing reintroducing trade to Thailand, and then the environmental ministry. Uh, who you talked about with JD and Kanya and other characters, General Pracha, who is trying to um, protect Thailand's sovereignty and pre- prevent it from um, having disease and keep their seed stock safe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the one the one caveat I would say there is like in the meta description, it sounds like the environment ministry should be the good guys and trade should be the bad guys. And I think there's like a little bit of that like overtone, but it is very not clear in the book like the environment ministry is not good guys. Uh, they're, like they had they're to do all wrong. this crazy. Yeah. They're both wrong in like different extreme ways, basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this really interesting, like conflict just all throughout such interesting conflicts where everybody's trying to get their thing. Um, so yeah, it's just a really complicated, full, interesting world. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's really deftly delivered uh, through the characters and their perspectives, and and you know you get these satisfying details uh, again, kind of like City in the City, um, which we've reviewed and might come up later. Um, it's a it, it's written well in that the the world, the setting of the world is um, part of the mystery and the the intrigue that drives um, the reading that drives your desire to keep reading um, is getting these little details about how the world collapsed, what's happened since the collapse um, and what's going on in the world, how they're using uh, machines that are from modern times, but weirdly Um, the, the one thing I will, the one thing I I will say that we both, we both picked up on and I didn't even notice when I was reading the book because it was so well done and the world was so believable. Um, Afterwards, I was like, wait, did we not think about that people would use solar and wind and hydroelectricity um, instead of like jamming jewels and kink springs and all this other stuff? Like, is that not where we think the energy of the world would go after fossil fuel runs out? The one leap he made basically was like, yeah, like, okay. He, he needed a reason for a dystopian collapse. He wanted these calorie companies to to be the thing. I think if I were to, if we ever interview Paolo, I'd love to ask him. Um, my guess is that he came up with this idea after reading about real life seed banks, which are like a crazy Wikipedia hole. If you've all, anybody listening has never like read about the way seed banks work, like do it. It's very interesting. Um, but I think if like, if you start from that conceit, you have to get to a place where like, okay, well, how do we get to a world where like, the only way to get energy is from, you know, from food. Um, I think that's like kind of like this, the, the conceit he needed to make to make his like very cool world make sense. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, it's best for the text that those forms of energy are elided, but um, just so no one thinks that we didn't realize that too. Yeah. We know um, about solar panels. <laughs> we know, we know those things. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> and, yeah. And the, the bad corporations running the world is, you know, it's the classic, um, classic conceit, yeah, classic but, theme, classic trope. Right. But it, 
you know, feels right here. And then also there's individuals. I think what makes it feel more realistic is it's not just like an individual who's pure of heart fighting against the corporate conglomerate or the empire or this, you know, the big brother of whatever sort, but they, but they don't, you know, they'll, they have the good morals and they want to bring it down. So it's better for the people. It's a lot of people who are struggling within that system in a realistic way and trying to, if they can leech a piece off of that profit, they'll do it because that's the best they could possibly do. Um, and it, it, yep. it's, which is also part of why it's crushing and brutal. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, super full world. Everything's great. Um, and then the themes obviously um, are, wait, did you want to talk yeah. more about the, the world stuff? You know, no, I don't, I don't think so. And I think it's like through the world, we like have talked about a lot of the, the themes as well, which is a good thing. I mean, that's of course yeah. how they come up in the book. You know, obviously climate change is a big deal here. Um, authoritarianism and corruption and, and all of like state capture, bribery, all that stuff gets but explored a lot. But there's a really interesting point about the authoritarian nature of uh, the, like the branches of this um, fictitious Thai government uh, especially in kind of the things that are alluded to building up to where we are on the timeline in the book. Um, and it's just, it's interesting because they're the only nation who's able to stay sovereign because they were so ruthless, like the environmental ministry quarantining entire uh, towns and cities and burning them to the ground if they saw disease. And, uh, stopping all trade um, and food coming in, even if it would help the populace. Yeah, even if people like, are starving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and then, and that's the only way they were able to succeed into um, this sovereign, into being this sovereign nation, which still doesn't seem great, but it, it is a, it's a kind of a bleak, it's a bleak outlook on like what, what level of um, kind of, ruthlessness it would maybe take if there was a collapse this extreme yeah, of in, the economy in, yeah. and climate. In Paolo's dark world of my choices are like corporate, a corporate state run entirely by companies or like, uh, uh, you know, a, a hereditary kingdom ruled through corruption and bribery. I, I don't know. I, can I choose neither? Uh, they're, they're well, both I think, bad. and that's, and that's, and that's a, precisely my, and I think, or my point about, I think his point, which is that there's like, there's no right way to do all of this. Like there's some, some sort of balance needs to be struck. Like you can't be purely, and another example, of this would be the, you can't be purely an isolationist country because, um, your people will suffer. And you also can't be purely um, like a global country because uh, foreign interests, especially if you're in the um, position of somewhere like Thailand, because then foreign interests can take over and corrupt government officials. Um, to, yeah, there's some strong anti-colonial vibes here, which yeah. are like interesting and explored through a new lens. Um, so yeah, there's just there's just a lot, as we keep saying, there's just a lot here. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna talk about on on this one? Did we miss anything? Man, I, I probably <laughs> it's a it's a it's a got a lot going on. But uh, you know, with all this complexity um, of us 
you know, summarizing various points through the analysis and uh, also attempting at making analysis uh, sees about societies and governments and everything. Um, the book reads well. It re- it reads really, you know, it easily um, and it is compelling. It is not complicated. Uh, well, I, I guess it is like a little bit more challenging of a read, but it's not... Um, it's not dense and it's not onerous. It it reads well. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about the tone that I did see like people complaining about online is that it's not, um, people use the word clinical, which I don't actually think is fair, but basically he's just like presenting us with this world and these people without judgment. Like the text does not have an opinion on these things, basically. There's and no so editorializing feel, yeah. by the author. Yeah, And I think some people maybe like didn't like that because it feels like, somewhat cold to present like all this dark stuff without like calling it bad. Um, I don't think I like agree with that critique. I think it makes it more powerful for you to like investigate it yourself and really see through the eyes of these people who are complicated people. They're not just bad people. They're not good people. But anyway, so that is, I think the one thing with the tone is like, it's not, this is very much a show don't tell and it's showing a bunch of dark stuff. Um, so you need to be prepared to come into it and see all that darkness and kind of come to your own conclusions about it. Um, cause the, the, the book is not going to like tell you what's right and what's wrong. And in general, I don't think there are like clean answers here. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my opinion, that's pinnacle art. Um, especially in a story setting is the author, not trying to make any heavy handed points, just saying, here's a world. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Go for it. Um, okay, so what are some other books that are like this one? This was tough. It was tough. Yeah, we had a bunch of, we talked about a bunch of them. Um, do you want to go first with The Water Knife? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, the Water Knife is a different book by Paolo Basigalupi um, that is kind of thematically similar. It's about climate catastrophe as well, but it's about uh, a drought or uh, whatever the longer version of a drought is like perma drought, no water remaining in the Southwestern United States. So, um, for those of us who are familiar with that region, I'm in Denver, um, and you're in Los Angeles. The federal government this week literally told, uh, Nevada and Arizona that next year they get like 10% less water from the Colorado river. It's like, it's getting real. We got to find some more. Yeah. And it doesn't reach, find some more water. Yeah, doesn't reach the ocean anymore. It's still, yeah, it's a very real issue currently. And, um, to, you know, for people who are interested in reading about a similar thing, but in, in, uh, the American Southwest, uh, the water knife is excellent. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to talk about and recommend Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. It's definitely like the closest thematically I've ever seen. Uh, people say like biopunk, but like the core technology being like gene manipulation of stuff. It's about corporations who have, taken over the world and are trying to further enrich themselves by like creating plagues that target their competitive products. It's, it, it feels quite similar. Um, a lot of people like that book. I will actually say I, I really didn't like it. <laughs> um, but it is something that a lot of people enjoyed and it does feel extremely closely like related in terms of the subject matter. So it seemed worth, worth mentioning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then finally we both, so we both put this on our lists and, and then looked at each other's list and we're like, wait, I almost didn't want to put that down because it's doesn't feel like, I don't know why it feels the same to me, 
but it does. And we both agreed City in the City by China Mieville. Um, and it's because so, it is a bit of a stretch. It's not thematically similar at all, except that um, they're both books that are uh, very much about the setting. Like the setting is the character. Yeah, um, with like no editorial judgment. We're just going to like show you this bizarre city and let you figure out what you think about it. Yeah, and and very slowly revealed world building um, and world building being part of like, again, the, the, the conflict and the interest, the mystery of the novel. Um, and also, uh, as you just told me at the beginning, this won the Hugo the same year that the wind-up girl won the Hugo, City in the City, and... They literally tied, so they both won. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, Like, that's a... Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, that's a slim, I mean, several hundred thousand votes or whatever. Yeah. uh, Yeah. To literally tie. Yeah. Yeah, one other time. I forget the other pair. Uh, I think it's in the 90s that it it has happened one other time. But yeah, it's really rare. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just so interesting that the books, like, feel similar, too. Um, yeah, they're yeah. cosmically linked. We're not sure how, but maybe uh, <laughs> maybe someone else can tell us and and see if yeah. And we you feel we, this have way a, as well. we have an episode about City in the City. So if you are True. interested in learning more about that book, um, check out that episode. Yeah, and uh, otherwise, thank you for listening as always, uh, and see you at the conference maybe. And otherwise, see you in three weeks for content from the conference, ShyCon yeah, 8. Some great interview where I have some really fun, good interviews lined up with cool people. So that'll be fun to tell you about. But yeah, till then. All right. Later, man. Bye.